0: talky talk podcast for the media bias.com for an overstuffed episode i am joined by brent hello david yeah overstuffed tj <laughs> what <laughs> now hi and it's me chris and today we're going to talk about movies we watch in the news <laughs> and give you blind recommendation on what you've watched so i will open it up to whoever wants to go first
1: i'll go first Brent, go first. I got a short list of movies. It's there are three movies that I have. Uh, they have something in common, which are they are uh, they have some good performances, and I didn't really like the movies all that much. Yeah. Uh, I'm going to start with the one that I think I like the movie the best, but the performance the least, and that's Harriet, Oscar-nominated movie Harriet, mm-hmm. not not our beloved Harriet. So, I, I, I so. definitely like her. But uh, Harry this, Tubman's pretty beloved. <laughs> um,
2: Controversial stance. Brian. Yeah, yeah.
1: So you hate Harry Tubman?
3: Go on. Movie okay. <laughs> Harry Tubman,
2: we're,
1: she knows what she Brent's did. On an island by himself. She
2: <laughs> knows what she did. <laughs>
3: um,
1: she no, knows what she did. She'll a, pay. It's a pretty decent little movie. It's a very run of the mill biopic. If you've seen one biopic, you've seen you yeah. know this one, and. Um, Cynthia Rivo is, uh, she's pretty good in it. It's, she didn't, you know, blow me out of the water. In fact, uh, I, I think I've liked Cynthia Rivo in everything else I've seen her in more because I think she just, I don't know, I just found the roles more interesting in like, uh, uh, Bad Night at the, uh, O.A. Yeah. Bad Times at the O.A. Oh yeah. Good
2: Times? Good. I don't
1: know. Good Times. She was in Good Times. I good time. time. Yeah. So, uh. But anyway, she's a good actress, and it, she helps turn this into a watchable movie. Um, yeah, I, I didn't love it.
0: Yeah. it was when you, when you first were like, I got ten minutes into Harriet, and I was like, oh no, I'm losing steam on Oscar push. I was like, Brant, you don't know what you're doing. And then I started watching Harriet, and I was like, oh, Brent was onto something. <laughs> <laughs> this is
1: a little hard. Yeah. I mean, it, it is just so, like... Paint by numbers, kind yeah. of. Mm-hmm. Also, at the at the end of the movie, they, they do like a you know, the the routine like little <laughs> placard up on the screen that just says, uh, "Over her life, she would help more than you know X yeah. number." And then it's like she she even served as a spy for the Union Army. I was like, "That's the movie." <laughs> I would have loved to but see they do that. I want to see that movie. They're Harriet, sure, the Union spy. They show like a short little like bit
0: of her like leading the raid on the Combahee river i would have loved to see that whole movie mm-hmm. about how this person goes from you know escaped slave to like leading a large regiment of of all former slaves to liberate like 700 slaves from a like uh area in south carolina like that seems cool shit yeah mm-hmm.
2: um but, but that's I'm, not what we got no
0: i'm gonna i'm gonna get my controversial statement or one of them uh out right now, um, Mm -hmm. I'm a little tired of seeing southern slave owners portrayed as dumb and like, easily foiled. There's a couple of times in this movie where that happens Mm -hmm. because I'm not saying that like, an intelligent person thinks that other people are just like, categorically below them. I don't think that at all. I think that is, you know, an evil thought. Um, But I think it takes away from the narrative a little bit when you paint Southern slave owners as so dumb that because then when they are outsmarted, outfoxed, outmaneuvered by fugitive slaves or by, uh, you know, people who are sympathetic to the, you know, black cause, it makes it seem like an easier hurdle uh, in a way. And there's just a lot of, like, bumbling, dumb white folks in this. And it's just like, come on. like, I, And I don't need, like, a brilliant, like, conniving master. But just, like, give them, like, a plus two in intelligence. At least a little bit. Because obviously this was a scheme that was reinforced by the government. It was systematic oppression. Like, that narrative exists. And I feel like this is a holdover from movies, like, from the past where, like, you have to not give them anything redeeming because slavery was such an evil concept.
4: Yeah, I mean, I tend to agree. Like you you're missing out if you just like amalgamate everything into like one like character that's easily foiled when like probably it was much more like a spy story. There where it's like you couldn't who could you trust with the information you've got were they gonna turn on you. Um, there were double agents, you know, that were slave catchers. They, that's how they foiled plans, you know? Mm -hmm. So, like, that's a much more interesting, like, narrative to me. Sounds like
2: it almost undermines the, the immensity of what she did by making them such cartoon characters. And I guess on on the other side, for filmmakers or people that do those kind of stories, you know, to be foiled, you know, again and again... I guess the only thing I can think of is at the time like those slave no owners didn't consider them people. Like they didn't consider them humans at all. So when you think of like all the things that are going to I'm this is just kinda of think on the other side. If you're thinking of all the things that are gonna foil you, you don't think of the non humans in your mind first, which maybe is why they're gullible or foilable.
0: Yeah, and they and they kind of touch on that a little bit when there's like the stories about like Moses is uh, like, like stealing our slaves, stealing our property. There's, like, a big meeting of, you know, Southerners, slave owners, whatever, and they're like, oh, it's an abolitionist in blackface. Like, they just cannot, like, tarry the thought that it is a black woman who's doing this. So the only way they can justify it in their minds is by saying that it's it's a an abolitionist, abolitionist in blackface.
4: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, but, yeah, I mean, I, I, I see the arguments... Um, and one of the characters is actually like, you know, not just like a, a country bumpkin. Um, I don't know. I just feel like, not that the South needs its fair shake in representation in movies about slavery. But, that the villain role of a slave owner, I feel like, gets the stereotypical everything slower in the South... They're inbred hicks. They're country bumpkins. They can't read. Like, they fuck their cousins. Like, all of that is just, like, that amoeba keeps moving forward in time.
2: I wonder if that's just... Not not to say in, in today's movies you can't do this or that, but if that's more easily digestible than having a, a well-rounded, evil, slave-owning character, if that would be pilloried by society. Like, why are you giving this character dimension... I mean, we had that with, like, say, like, three billboards with the racist cop. Right, because we like, had like, DiCaprio him, and Django. Right. Yeah. yeah. I mean, Making him charismatic or having a different element or anything mm-hmm. seems to get... Uh, and I'm not across the board with this thing that, like, oh, you can't do do things because of woke culture. But, I don't know, it does seem like people don't have the patience for well-rounding those characters.
3: Yeah. It's interesting because it's happened... <clears throat> for like over 100 years in cinema too you know what I mean Like, yeah. and it was the reverse for so long where black people are like dumb evil they're gonna eat you right you know for like the first 40 years of filmmaking um, so maybe this is a little push back on that too and it just never stopped yeah I don't know I mean stereotypes have always been around in cinema doesn't mean you have to like them you know
0: yeah 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 and I, I think it, it hurt my viewing of Harriet um, but I mean I feel like we're gonna talk in the next like half hour about a movie where, it's also a taboo subject to sympathize with their group that they come from, but because it's a script that was trying to be made for a dozen years, you know, Jojo Rabbit makes you know Nazi a Nazi boy like the star of the show, and you feel for him. I don't know, even the characters around him. Sam Rockwell is the racist who does something redeeming, you know. <laughs>
1: But, but yeah, other than other than telling what felt like a kind of almost generic tale in general, but with specifics rego- that regarded Harriet Tubman, this was just, I mean, it just felt so routine to me, the movie did, so. I was not a fan, really, of the movie, and uh, eh, the performance was, was fine enough, I suppose. Um, yeah,
0: fantastic singer.
1: Oh, Yeah. In fact, that's the highlight of the movie. Maybe is when when she sings. Um, I also saw Judy. Um, so for this one, I I think I like the movie a little less because I, I this was this was a kind of a boredom struggle for me. This mm-hmm. movie and it's probably just the subject matter that just wasn't up my alley. And it's about Judy Garland, you know, at the tail end of her career, trying to trying to get things going again, and she's got some stage performances in London, and, um...
2: Didn't have the title card, like, she was in Wizard of Oz, and you're like, show me that movie! I don't (laughs) want to see Washed Up Judy! Um, the... The the first
1: scene, the very first shot on screen is of her on set at Mm -hmm. Wizard of Oz, and, uh... And the stuff they flash back to with that, I do not want to see that
0: movie. Yeah.
1: (laughs) No. Um... But yeah, I think, um, even though the movie didn't do a whole lot for me, I think, uh, Renee Zellweger is really impressive in this movie. She's, uh, she's got that Judy Garland, that, the Judy Garland eyeballs down, you know what I mean? Like the sort of, um, I don't know, she can emote so much through like a pained look off into the distance. Uh, it's, it's, it is impressive, um, and the best parts of that movie for me is when she's on stage. I think she she does really really well. She does her own singing, which is impressive. Mm-hmm.
2: Um, Take that, Rami Malek. Yeah.
1: <laughs> so uh, I don't know. I thought she was. I thought those scenes were really captivating. And when she was off stage, it just sort of. Uh,
0: yeah, I mean, she's playing a drug addict and so when she's off stage she's either fiending or she's like kind of disaffected and just like spaced out and mm-hmm. just like I don't know like I, I think that her performance kind of transcends impression yes and I think it's a, a really good you know I feel like with a lot like Natalie Portman uh, as Jackie Onassis where she does the imitation incredibly well but then there's so much of that movie that is about her not on camera and not doing an impression that uh, I feel like Zellweger does in this really well.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Where it's, you know, all the off-camera Judy too is really well, done, really well done. Yeah, and that's sort of the the thing that I often take into movies like that, which is like, how much of this is just impression and and how, how far beyond it can they go? And I do think she does a good job going beyond it. So I'd totally get her nomination.
4: Um, <laughs> can I ask a question
1: do they like and you're no. not gonna spoil it for me are they like Is the, does the movie does. paint her as like a
4: victim a sympathetic person or how are you supposed to take her like drug addiction like she's made see, her bed so lie in it or I would like, say with the
1: flashbacks it's sort of a she's a victim yeah, of the, the Hollywood machine, machine. Yeah. Yeah. yeah and you do feel bad for her yeah I was just wondering yeah. her mom is a cartoonish villain in it <laughs>
0: it's like it uh I think that that part was a little, a little over the top for me. I mean, I'm sure I'm sure that like this is all like well vetted and sourced, but it just seemed insane. <laughs> like that she was like on set about to like bite into a burger for part of like a scene, and her mom just like starts screaming at her like, "Don't actually
1: swallow!" And it's just like. Whoa! I didn't expect this kind of energy out of this person. Yeah, I mean, the studio is basically just telling her since she was like 15 that like you're She's not that pretty, way. you're not that you're not that good looking. Luckily, you can sing. But yeah. yeah. So, yeah, a lot of psychological abuse from studio heads. I just didn't know if they like, you know, try to like
4: take new ground because like those have been Judy Garland stories, like of her eating like av- can only have chicken broth in the canteen have been going around for like years, you know, like I just didn't know if it was like bringing something new to the table.
1: It new to me. I hadn't heard those. Yeah, like, I didn't. Uh, but yeah, it retreads that ground. Uh, <laughs> the third movie I watched, which is the movie I liked the least. Uh, but performances were, were really just as strong in this one, I think is bombshell. Um, Bombshell has, and TJ touched on this when he talked about it on, on the podcast, and so I won't spend long. But boy, the the tone of that movie is all over the place. I mean, it is it is a winking satire, and it is a, and then it shifts dramatically to like almost horrifying. You know, you feel so much empathy for Margot Robbie's character at one point in the movie, and you just feel horrified at what she's going through but then the movie will shift back to like let's have a good laugh about things at, at times and you know Fox News oh this is just Fox News you know and, and so it, it it to me it was like trying to be too many movies at once. Um, is, it, is
2: it true that they never name Fox News in the movie?
1: No. no, it's very clearly like yeah. it's yeah. Well, I mean do
2: they say the words Fox News I thought yeah. they don't say it they, do. they definitely do okay, I mean you have like actual footage
1: of people on Fox News within the corner and everything mm-hmm. the, I'm trying to think well it's certainly the the you certainly see the words Fox News branded across everything I mean it's yeah they're not making any attempt to hide that they, um, they, they show
0: like an exterior of the building where they point out kind of the power structure of what's going on. And they're like, there's floor two. That's where Rodrielle's office is. And so then, at the end of it, like in the first like minute, they say like, so you've got Fox News, this, 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 all in one building. This is the conservative, you know, hive mind right here. Yeah, Chris may be right. I mean, I,
3: I couldn't guarantee that they say the words Fox News in order, but they definitely say Fox referring to the news channel
1: mm-hmm. a ton. Yeah, <clears throat> and the 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 icon, the logo is definitely on the screen. Yeah. yeah. Um, I I don't know. Did you did you like this movie? Did you like Bombshell? Uh, yeah, I did.
0: I thought it was a fine movie. Okay. Um. Yeah, I mean, I gave it four stars.
1: Yeah.
3: I think it was. I think the the tone shifting was pretty much its only problem. In mean, it. Yeah. It I, didn't like take away from it too much. I mean, it was odd.
0: Yeah. It, it's it's kind of emblematic that the movie ends with the uh, how it does with like this kind of like raw raw like like the Me Too movement rolls on like another victory for. Um, people who were willing to stand up and then that like end screen over kind of like the upbeat music that's like so and so was awarded a $50 million settlement uh, then Bill yeah. O'Reilly and Roger Ailes were paid $65 million in settlement and it's like well okay any chance I had about feeling good about any of this movie is just immediately dashed yeah I mean I didn't I kind of saw that coming only because I knew what right. happened
3: so I think it was kind of a build up to tear you down thing I mean I think that, that was definitely done on purpose yeah you probably agree uh, for sure. Yeah. I think they were, you know, I think they were trying to be a little Adam McKay and they just weren't as good as Adam McKay. Is that it? Yeah. Uh, as somebody who loved the big short and Vice. Those movies are better. Yeah. But uh, it definitely had that vibe to it. Mm-hmm. where It was trying to, yeah, at trying times to it, for yeah. sure. Yeah. It was, it was a little weird.
4: Yeah. And I could see him being pretty like influential, like of the last couple of movies he oh, made. You totally know, Like mean. people look at and be like, I want to make movies like
1: that you know mm-hmm. yeah I mean even Soderbergh basically tried to make one this year with the uh, laundromat the laundromat yeah
2: I'll
1: check it out yeah, mm. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> give it a shot it's in our bottom five so. <laughs> yeah. I'll be the judge of that <laughs> uh <clears throat> that being said uh Shirley Saron is is uh, again it's impression and performance as Megan Kelly and she's very impressive um, I was actually really digging Nicole Kidman's performance, and then she just kind of disappears about halfway through the movie. Yeah. He's my least favorite out of the three by, by a lot. Yeah,
0: she gets, she gets relegated to the to the background. Understandably so. I mean, she plays Gretchen Carlson, who was kind of... It gets fired in two Fox. I mean, yeah.
1: Genesis get, of it all.
0: Yeah. Basically like a gag order <laughs> on her interacting with any of those people.
1: Mm-hmm.
3: I was really impressed with the cadence of... The dialogue delivered by Theron there, I thought it was. I mean, that is probably the most like recently public figure I've ever seen in a major released film. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I mean, everybody knows what she looks and sounds like. You know what I mean? Right. And uh, it was just I mean I didn't recognize her. Um, and the, but the voice and the
1: speech pattern was just ridiculous. Yeah, really well done. Well, real quick before I finish, I do want to. I've I've started uh, a couple of TV shows that I just I haven't I do too far into, but uh, they're uh, they're they're good. They're they're new, and I want to recommend them. The Outsider on HBO. I've watched the first three episodes of, and it is pretty good. There it does some things that are kind of irritating to me, which is the characters tend to explain them like explain plot details that like or character details that I they a more nuanced show could just show me. Um, and also, uh, sometimes the camera will just zoom in on the thing that is already obvious to you on screen that you don't really need it to zoom in on. Uh, it's like, yeah, we get it. We get it. The, the, the weird guy stayed in there watching everything. We could see him. And then the camera just slowly zooms it. So slowly zooms <laughs> in. But other than that, it's a, it's a really, uh, it's a really good show with, uh, uh, a pretty interesting story, um, written by this novel written by Stephen King. Um, <laughs> You're disagreeing with Brent? Nah, okay. No, yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> I have no idea if the people that can hear me talk can also hear my dog bark every like eight <laughs> seconds. <laughs> um, the uh, it's uh, in the fictional town of Cherokee City, Georgia. Oh, oh nice. Um, <laughs> you live there, <that. laughs> so. Uh, <laughs> Why everybody be like? Oh, cool! Yeah, why do they they think that's cool? So, uh, yeah, Ben Mendelsohn's pretty good. Uh, It's got Jason Bateman, Cynthia Rebo. So it's it's a good cast made by the same team that made The Night of. And I I think it's gonna have it's gonna have some episodes written by Dennis Lehane, who's a good mystery writer. So Mm -hmm. it's uh, it's pretty good. Cool. Um, What's the other show, Brent? It's unbelievable. Oh. What is it? It's unbelievable. It's a Netflix series called "Unbelievable," starring the unbelievable Kimmy Schmidt, Caitlin Dever, who I've quickly become a big fan of, and Merritt Weaver. Uh, it is about a uh, a rape that gets reported, and uh, basically, there's not a lot of evidence around it, so the cops. Uh, don't. <laughs> sorry, this. DJ yeah, has, people keep talking. I'll deal with it. T.J.'s pure I'm sorry, anger. We can ignore it. it is dogs.
0: <laughs> and I also very quietly in the show notes wrote down unbelievable. Crossed it out. Wrote down crumb believable. Oh.
1: <laughs> <laughs> anyway, uh, I've I've only just started it, but it's it is an interesting concept of the uh, of Kale Dever, uh is the victim of a rape, and due to <laughs> <clumsy dog. laughs> due to a lack of evidence, um, police—they're not callous, but they—she gets a little flaky after and during the investigation. They just sort of, and also some people in her life kind of uh, suggest to the cops that she might be doing it for attention. And so, uh, she winds up retracting her uh, accusation, and she didn't know her attacker either. And so she winds up retracting it. And uh, <clears throat> the gist of the show is that three years later, a very similar attack happens, and um, it's about a. I think Merritt. We've I haven't even gotten this far into the show yet, but Merritt Weaver I think is going to play an investigator who. Uh, is trying to solve the new rape case by also looking into why Caitlin Devers was hmm. uh, kind of shoved to the side. So I haven't really heard a lot about this show. I don't know if it's getting any, like, attention, although I think it was nominated for some Golden Globes. Mm-hmm. Other than that. Um, <clears throat> and what's it on again? Netflix. Oh, cool. Let's check it out. So, anyway. Cool. Two shows. Good shows.
0: Three, three movies, two shows. Yeah. All right. Well, we're going to skip order, and we're going to go to... Ow. Oh, okay. Um, I
4: Well, uh, Brent and I are in the midst of a Survivor season recap, rewatch, and I, in the midst of watching season four, had to take a break about halfway through because it felt like I was slogging through it a little bit. So, I've been plowing through a lot of movies. Um, I'll talk about a couple. Uh, the first one is Thunder Road. It's a uh, 2018 indie uh, recommended by a friend of the podcast, Katie. Thank you, Katie. Thank you, Katie. I texted her nine minutes into the movie, telling her <laughs> thank you. Um, it's, uh, I had never heard about this until Katie told me about it. It is on Amazon, and it is a really low budget, like shoestring budget. Basically, this guy, Jim Cummings, who stars in it, he wrote it, he directed it, he edited it, he made the music for it so it composed the, the score. So um it was had some like uh, it won like a South by Southwest like audience award or mm-hmm. jury award or something. So it you know when it's like been seen like people have liked it and I'm like one of those people. Um it's about this guy in Louisiana I think it's Louisiana because he went to LSU Um, who his life is basically like falling apart around him. And that's, he's a, he's a police officer. It opens with his, um, his mother has passed away. And the tie-in of Thunder Road, why it's titled that is, that's the song she used to sing to him when he was a little kid. It's like her favorite song. Cool. Um, and, uh, that's, uh, basically the gist of it. I don't want to give too much of away. It's like 90 minutes long. It's really... Uh, you know I wouldn't say it's like an enjoyable film you know but it was enjoyable to watch um, I really liked it so I want to pass on the recommendation nice um, I watched a couple other things I didn't know what to watch so I like did a google search like best films playing on Amazon and you know they list them alphabetically like a hundred and I got down to Aguirre the wrath of God and I was like I've never seen this <laughs> So I should probably watch it, and I'm really glad I did. Um, it was It's on, like, you know, those lists of, like, films you should see, you mm-hmm. know? Like, you would read these things, you know, like Roger Ebert's, like, columns talking about, like, oh, movies you should really watch, Gary Wrath of God. And, you know, I had heard a little bit about it, you know, I um, heard
2: that uh, Klaus Kinski and Werner Herzog got into like fist fights on the set. <laughs> they one threatened the to shoot the other yeah. at
4: one point. Um, it is, uh, wow, it is hard to describe. They went into the jungles in Peru with like the idea to make this movie, which is about a real life figure named Aguirre, who Klaus Kinski plays him who's a Spanish conquistador and they're searching for El Dorado um in 1550 or something like that well that's basically it of the plot like it is a very like there's a destination here it is and it's just the journey towards that um it's you know how do I describe this well I can just describe Klaus Kinski He is an animal. He (laughs) is, I did not know what was happening. First of all, he plays the character with this limp leg. And I was like, is he trying to, I was like, is he Quasimodo? Is he like (laughs) Igor? I know he's part lizard and (laughs) I got that part down. Um, But why is he playing it with this like, Leg that's limp. Well, I went and read about it, and he's playing parts of it like historically accurate. Like Aguirre had like taken an arrow to the leg like three years before this journey, so he had this limp. They make no mention of it in the movie. He's just walking around like Igor, and I'm <laughs> like, what is going on here? Uh, it's fascinating to watch.
0: Of it, all the artistic choices you could make, let your lead actor walk like normal. <laughs> yeah. Um it's, not it's like people are going to watch footage of a gure like this like a long time ago. <laughs> yeah. It's um
4: it's how I don't know, it's like one of those movies like I definitely would recommend to but I would do it to reservedly to like someone I know would would um I don't know. Not really like take the time or effort, but give it a chance. Yeah, because it's probably easily dismissible. Um, it's it's from 1972. It ha- it has no real. It has a loose structure to it, other than the journey. Um, there are a lot of characters who never utter a line, <laughs> but they're like fourth build in the movie, and it's a a movie of more about images <clears throat> and certain characters losing their minds than it is about an actual like plot you can follow hmm.
1: nice yeah yeah
4: and it does seem like a hard
0: movie
1: to <laughs> yeah I know
4: I know definitely um but I will say after years of thinking oh I should watch this movie and mm-hmm. finally putting it on I was like oh okay
0: I no, it's not so I really like get it but I'm glad I watched it yeah you don't have to convince us of that sentiment we all watched Metropolis for this right. podcast, <laughs> we we get it.
1: You, <laughs> do you think you're gonna watch Fitzcarraldo? Sounds oh yeah, a, yeah. I mean, after watching Nosferatu, just sign me up for anything that's Werner Herzog plus Klaus Kinski.
4: Well, Klaus Kinski, it's like I, I want to see what he's gonna do next. I mean, I know the guy's dead, but I want to see what he did on film and was right. gonna do next. Mm-hmm. He was unleashed. It was like he he like turned around and and. Someone was in his way, and you know when you like you're the boss, and you turn around and something's in somebody's in your way, and you're like, "Get out of my way!" He did that to a horse,
2: <laughs> and the horse,
4: the horse moved. Yes, fell down. It, like it the, spooked him. He can understand he, that primal rage. Oh yeah, I, I, it, it was amazing. So yes, I, I will watch Fitzgerald. Please. Yeah. Um, the last one, movie I want to talk about, which is definitely recommendable to, like, uh, you guys and other, like, um, moviegoers, is Filmworker. It, I don't know if anybody's seen it. It's um, a documentary that came out, like, a couple of years ago, maybe 2017. It's about um, this guy named Leon Vitali. He was an actor, uh British actor, back in the 70s, who was fairly successful. He had done, like, he had done several films... He had been on, like, a British sitcom that, like, had legs. It, like, lasted a couple of years. And he was, like, one of the top two or three people in it. So he's a working, like, successful actor. Um, you know, he was on, He was good-looking. He was on the cover of, like, whatever the Teen Beat magazines were back then. Uh, but he had gone to, like, Stanley Kubrick movies. And, you know, like, other people had seen 2001 Space Odyssey. And it had blown his mind. And he, then he went to sit in the theater and watch... Um, <sighs> clockwork, clockwork orange and he turned to the friend he went with and said I want to work with this guy and he didn't really mean I want to act with him he's like I want to see what he's doing because it's somehow like moving me or like I want to get on the inside of what's going on here and that's what he did he got cast in Barry Lyndon and he told Kubrick he wanted to work behind the camera or anywhere else and Kubrick said you need to go cut your teeth on something else go do a project and then learn it and like come back to me and like that's what he did and he became Mm -hmm. like they became like inseparable and he became his film worker he did like everything for him he's the guy who like went and cast the kid who played Danny Torrance Mm -hmm. and then he became like that kid's acting coach and he Kubrick was like you've got the kid that's your job your job is the kid And so he would sit behind the camera and be like, okay, do the eyes thing, you know, and do that. So he worked on all those movies. He's the head honcho in Eyes Wide Shut with the red robe and the mask and the staff. That's him. But he's also 12 other guys in that scene. Yeah. um, Because he just did everything, you know. Wow. Um, It is a really good documentary. At first, I was jaded about it because there was a lot of talk about Stanley Kubrick's genius and I it's not that I want to argue with that it's just that I've already accepted that and I <laughs> right. so I don't really need to like <laughs> more, hear more plaudits for that right. so but once it got past that and it got into like the people that like what people do that make movies you know and uh, that was one of the, the the like running themes throughout the movie is like the people behind the cameras um, and I know you guys have talked about that, you know, like uh, that, you know, the hard work or, or uh, labor of love and all those things. But it also talked about um, the like, once like <clears throat> Kubrick started making uh, less movies, but they were like, they were coming like once every 10 years, but they mm-hmm. were his babies, like totally in control. He was working with Warner Brothers. He basically had control over so much and even down to fighting with Warner Brothers over like, I don't know, the like poster outside a theater in Pittsburgh. It was wrong (laughs) and and Kubrick would find out about it and like just the control he had over his like movies and that he wanted them to be seen how like he had filmed them. And not because he felt that they were perfect, but I guess that's how he filmed them. And that's, like, the other sort of, like, parallel theme that's, like, running through it. And Leon sort of, that became his job, was taking care of those things. But it was a really, ended up being a really fascinating documentary to watch. Um, It's on Netflix, so if you want to try it out, it's, like, 90 minutes long, tops, you know? Sounds neat. Really fascinating.
2: I feel like there's not a ton of glimpses behind the production style of Kubrick. Like it's very closed off and he didn't talk about it a lot. Is there a lot of, uh, or some archival footage of like making that stuff?
4: Oh yeah. Okay. A lot with the shining and a lot mm-hmm. with like, um, a lot with, I'd say the shining, the most of all, there were cameras filming the cameras. Mm-hmm. Um, there were, they talked about the fake moon landing? They talked about the fake moon landing. Um, you know, because basically Kubrick held on to all his uh, negatives and everything. And he was really like, uh, uh, protective of like those things. Mm-hmm. And um, so Leon Vitale basically worked with him like 18 hours a day for 30 years. So he would know if like that had happened and he was like absolutely not move on you know mm-hmm. and he just poked a lot of holes in a lot of like conspiracy conspiracy theories about like can we talk about the tang and um mm-hmm. you know uh, and uh the shining you know being on the shelves and he's like come on okay do you want to talk about the poster next you know and they brings up some poster that's supposed to be like people see this or that in it you know so mm-hmm. he went in, it goes into that a little bit yeah Neat. It's yeah. Interesting. Yeah.
2: Yeah, that's about it. Cool. <clears throat> well, let's hear from David. Cool. I watched uh, three movies all in the uh, all in the best picture realm. I'm trying to catch up before the Academy Awards happen. Short season. Um, uh, first one I'll talk about. Uh, you know, everyone has uh, been on record about this, but I finally catch up with got up a parasite. Uh, hey. By Bong Joon Ho. <laughs> yes. I think everybody now knows what parasite is, and uh, controversial opinion. (laughs) It's fantastic. Yeah. (laughs) Now it's a five star for me. It's an incredible movie. I think it's the uh, it's the pinnacle of uh, Bong Joon Ho's balance of tone. All of his movies are tone balance, like slapstick and tragedy side by side. I think this one um, is the just perfect example of how he just jumps between the tones just perfectly and yeah that production design nomination is is a just chef's kiss that house is is immaculate mm-hmm. how it gets shot how everything lines up like clockwork like the plot plot does it's just uh you know it's fantastic even outside the house man like the getaway through the rain
3: back of their little you know dungeon of house mm-hmm. you know, that whole scene is just
0: beautiful yeah look. everything's
2: just so considered yeah. yeah
0: literally descending deeper into like poverty and like yeah down the ladder of class struggle right mm-hmm. shit rolls downhill yeah. yeah
2: um so yeah that's an amazing movie <laughs> so. you guys are right <laughs> <laughs> and then i watched uh i watched uh joker joaquin phoenix is uh, pretty undeniable in that movie um talk about part lizard and part i mean nightmare monster yeah. He's, he's pretty incredible in that movie uh the movie uh technically surprised me it was very um uh, an in, incredible craftsmanship went into that movie uh i was blown away by the cinematography i think it was uh it was a lot better than i thought it was going to be It's just like oh here's uh here's new york city slash gotham city again in the 70s again but uh it's really good framing's really uh it's really spot on and all the slow zooms into things, how it's how it's cut. is really impressive. Um, as a whole, uh, I don't think the movie is, is that much of a Marvel. It's not to be ironic. <laughs> no pun intended. It's a DC.
1: Um,
2: so great, great craftsmanship in it and great acting. But I just, uh, yeah, I, I also agree. I don't think the movie has a lot to say about the things it's trying to talk about. And I don't think it really comes together that that well for me. But uh, I do find it impressive.
3: Um, cool. Yeah. I do uh, agree that those are definitely the two highlights. They're they're very good. Those two things.
0: Yeah. yeah. And I also agree that it, it, it appears to throw <coughs> all of the balls in the air, but refuses to juggle them. Mm-hmm. It's just like that kind of approach of like, here are all the things that could be happening. And you figure it out. And it just, it feels kind of not hopeless in the sense of, of like, what do, what do I as a viewer now do with this information, but hopeless in the sense of like, there's really nothing that I can do. So why would I bother more, more like it inspires uh, apathy or nihilism from watching it than like any kind of like depression or sadness. Yeah. A neutral tone movie. Mm-hmm. Oh, that was super uh,
3: cool feelings. Like. To evoke you know what i mean yeah uh since that's what the character does like they didn't make you hate him really or feel bad for him but made you kind of just understand his existence his yeah. like so fucking what yeah. attitude
2: it's essentially like just you spending two hours in this guy's skin it's like this is what yeah. that experience would be like it's yucky yeah, it's grimy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And then the last uh, movie I saw is probably the, uh, I, w- I wouldn't say it's the favorite of the three, but I liked it more than Joker, is Little Women. Oh, yeah, cool. Little Women, a uh, Greta Gerwig movie. Um, I've heard uh, some criticism and from some friends too about the structure to it, um, how the plot is uh, structured. Anybody else see it here? I think TJ has. I did. Yeah, I saw it. Okay. Yeah. Cool. Yeah, I, I haven't seen it. And I haven't
4: read the book. So, yeah. like, so, is it like, is that the, where they're coming from? Like, it.
2: I haven't read the books or seen any of the previous movies, so I have no connection to, like, how it should be shot. I gotcha. Um, it's a movie that goes through with feeling and memory more than chronology. Um, so it jumps back and forth in time, like, between two, you know, separated by seven years, where they're little girls in one thing, and then they're kind of adult women, well, I guess, for the time in another scene. Um, you kind of get your bearing. I got my bearing pretty quick, though, about where where it is. Is the can I
1: ask? Is the is the uh, criticism over its structure? Is it because people think that the the shuffling doesn't serve the narrative, or do they? Is it because there's confusion over to when things are happening? I've heard both. My
3: criticism would be confusion. There were definitely
1: times when I didn't know where I was.
3: Like what time you were, and that's just like if you're going to do that, and I. Can't figure that out.
1: It's not great.
3: You know what I mean?
1: For me, I think it was... I I, I would... Your phrase of I got my bearings is kind of Mm -hmm. about right with me, which is like it took me a a couple scenes to just be like... To kind of put together some things and just be like, okay, now I feel... And I was pretty good from there on. Yeah, Yeah. but it shouldn't be that much work. Right. Those scenes are lost. Yeah. Florence Pugh was the easiest... sort of barometer because she's the one who I think goes undergoes the most of. she's the the starkest difference between the two time periods I think she's like clearly little girl clearly
2: adult and I told my wife I was like if she has bangs she's young and if she doesn't (laughs) she's older
4: I was gonna ask is there some like markers there you know like, I mean,
2: they they telegraph some stuff, like, pretty literally. It's like, this is just, like, the time before, and then it goes to the time before. Yeah. yeah. I mean, there are um, easy ways to do it. There could just be, a, like, a character who's like,
4: oh, this is so-and-so's husband. Right. You know? And obviously wasn't around when they were, well,
2: passed. You know, honestly, going into Little Women, I didn't think it would, it would require this kind of, a little bit of mental gymnastics to kind of get my mm-hmm. bearing. So that was a little, uh... I don't know, surprising to just try to in, enjoy it. Especially, yeah.
0: especially a movie that's trying to tell that story. Like, it's... it's at, at its heart, is trying to tell the story of, like, kinship and family and, you know, friendship persevering and forgiveness and, you know, independence, and it's like... But then there's also this, like,
2: kind of unnecessarily complex narrative style. It's almost like cut it up like a Tarantino movie <laughs> and did the movie really need that that's probably I I would agree with that part of the criticism I, I'm okay with it like the the movie being dictated by the the feelings are consistent yeah. and the experiences and the chronology you know it was a little bit confusing but on the whole I I really liked it
3: mm. yeah I mean I'd it like half a star for that yeah it was like not a big deal and, yeah, I mean, the performances of the two nominees and, and other cast members, but uh, Sarsha Ronan, and more for me, Florence Pugh, was just fucking fantastic.
2: She's phenomenal. But Sarsha Ronan, too, she has the, the scene in the attic where she, um, you know, talks about her her feminist ideal and then admits being lonely. I thought she sells that, like, really well. Uh, the fucking scene with her and Laura
3: Dern when Beth dies, both of them. Yeah. It's just ridiculously good or
0: even her when her uh, when her friend is is critiquing her writing I think Uh, she has like a really terrifically delivered like kind of temper tantrum as a grown woman Mm -hmm. yeah
2: yeah yeah beyond that I think it's I think it's definitely a snub for best director though if I were doing it I'd put her in there because uh, it really evokes like paintings of the times like pastoral and portrait stuff you think like you're looking at paintings like, her in the autumn hills with uh, Laurie is just, like, just gorgeous filmmaking. Or you framing the house with the, like, people of society kind of milling about is, like, this painting's almost that you see in the movie with, uh, you know, with um, Amy painting them and being at the art school. I think it's a, it's a gorgeous movie.
3: Yeah, I think it was, for me, one of those, it was, oh, Fall Gerwig's directorial nomination in is, like, a... I would have been perfectly fine with it. I don't know if I would have like fought real hard for it. Out of what's happened this year, mm-hmm. um, I mean, I could probably put her in over fervor Phillips, but I don't know that I put her in over the other four. I haven't seen nineteen seventeen yet, so.
2: Um, but yeah, it was great. It was. I mean that that Florence Pugh. She's gonna be a star. Superstar. Which no one would have told me.
0: <laughs> yeah, no one said anything about it a couple of years ago. Uh, <laughs> all right, so, David, is that all of your movies? Yep. TJ, hit us. Uh, I'm trying to figure out which ones I want to talk about. I guess
3: Honeyland? We haven't talked about Honeyland, right, on here, nope. uh, Honeyland would have been in my top five if I would have watched it before the top ten uh, podcast. It's crazy. It is bonkers. Yeah. And it fucking earns that, like, fictional narrative more than documentaries that I've tried to do that in the past. Like, my big beef with the, uh, I can't remember what it's called now, the... Big beef, sto- the documentary. doping documentary. Icarus. The cycling. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Icarus, Was that we didn't need to feel duped. He tricked us on purpose by showing us 30 minutes of a documentary he had no intention of making through to the end. Right. Once the film was released. Yeah. And I felt that was kind of shitty uh, as a filmmaker. Hmm. Um, it's fine if that's a story, but it's a fucking documentary. Tell me the thing you want to tell me. Don't trick me. And yeah. And this movie, they could have done that. These people were trying to film about rivers and, like, the geography of Macedonia and instead found this crazy woman and her beehive that she keeps on the side of a mountain and on the side of her house. Uh, house is a very loose term. It's mm-hmm. a bunch of pile of bricks in the middle of nowhere. Yeah. Um, but they didn't. They found out this story was more fascinating and they wanted to tell us that. And it's all about her. I mean, 100% about her and a family of gypsies that move next door. And uh, Door is also a loose term. Yeah, <laughs> so there's, no, a there's doors not doors a lot of doors. Door. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Um, and yeah, it was just fucking phenomenal. I mean, the character, uh, this woman is just amazing. In the
2: I've got, I haven't finished it, but I've, I've started it and she, she'd almost be like a character you wouldn't believe in a movie. Yeah. Yeah. And she's like super charismatic. You'd kind of hang on her words and it's not, she's so funny. Yeah. It's not like, uh, I don't know, charisma you'd expect, but just charisma. Like you just keep wanting to see what she's going to do. Yeah. She's a real person. Yeah. Her her mom too. The
0: the whole scene of her giving her mom the fan and trying to show her how to use it. Mm -hmm. Like, I was laughing. Like, out loud, (laughs) (laughs) Just poking herself in the eye with it. And I feel like a lot of humor gets lost in translation because, you know, you don't have the timing or the intonation. But it's still just like, it was just... She was laughing at her mother. Like,
3: it was great. She was like, oh, this is a bad idea. (laughs) Yeah. And the first thing I was like, oh my God, I feel bad for this woman, like, spending her... she, She sells honey. That's like her only income. Um, she sold it for like $15 and she bought a fan and hair dye and I was said something like, man, it sucks that she's just like wasted money on that because Sandra was like, I mean, she doesn't have any bills. just <laughs> nothing to spend money on. Yeah. yeah. She has no power. She, she just lives in the middle of the woods and nobody
0: cares. Yeah, she goes and buys bananas for her mom because I don't think that her mom has any bones left in her body. <laughs> man, that woman, I, felt, I laughed so hard I felt bad for laughing at
3: one point when she was just like, I guess I'll go to bed now. And it's like, <laughs> You you are on that bed twenty four hours a day. You just like sit up sometimes and then lay back down. Yeah, you resist
0: stretching your legs out a little bit.
2: (laughs) My feet hurt. You should go walk around. I can't because my feet hurt. (laughs) (laughs) Main character's being exasperated with her. It's like ah.
3: Where can you find it? It is streaming on Hulu. Hulu. All right. Um, Yeah, but highly recommend Honeyland. Um, it's sad that it doesn't have a chance at Best form Film.
0: Yeah. For sure. Yeah, it kind of felt like a waste of, not time, because I'm, you know, now at this point, four movies away from finishing The Death Race, but uh, watching uh, Les Miserables in theaters uh, was felt fruitless because I know that Parasite's just going to just kick them all out the fucking window.
2: And yeah. You think it's got a chance in the documentary, though?
3: Uh, I think, I mean... I'd, as a movie watcher, yes. As a Oscar predictor, no. It's going to American Factory, in my opinion. Yeah, the celebrity factor is too big. Yeah, Obama production company can't be not seen by yeah. the voters.
4: Perplexes me. Why? You know, like the Obama of it all, and then the uh, J Lo is not nominated.
2: Like you, on the one hand, have the celebrity of it all, and then the other hand, you don't. Well, it's about respect status too. Everybody respects Obama, and the Snooty Academy said she's the one who does Made in Manhattan and those music videos with her butt. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I mean, she I guess, guess I mean, like, what, that's essentially what, what elbows do her... you
4: want to rub rub with, you know? But like, don't you want like old white men's elbows? Right. <laughs> why don't you want J Lo like in the room? It's you know,
2: yeah. Anyone yeah. under the age of like seventy would probably say, yeah, that makes sense, and she is a talent in that movie. But like the, uh, I think it was like a New York Post article about like, here's what an Academy Academy Award people really think. It's just like they just do not even think that a movie about strippers is worth being filmed. So I don't think Unless that Meryl ever Street had a chance a to be. In one. <laughs> Unless it's Jack Nicholson, Has Michelle Obama, is Amy Adams,
1: uh, Meryl <laughs> Streep. <laughs> Octavia Spencer <laughs> and Viola Davis the stripper movie <laughs> yeah. Jack Nicholson
2: I mean stripper movies have uh, and prostitute movies have won Academy Awards for right you no know, I think it's just a it just <laughs> seems very like I mean I get the Obama but it all just
4: seems very selective you know like, I also think yeah, there's a lot like of, the a Kobe Bryant thing seems very selective there's
2: insane you know? hypocrisy and in, right in you know secret voting records yeah. I think there's a lot
3: going on with guilds versus how the winners are picked too yeah, um, that happens I'm there. It's the yeah, doc- I know it's
4: a deeper process. I'm just like looking at it like thirty thousand feet and just being like shaking my head, going like, why, well, you
2: know, why one thing, you know, why American factory and like not this other thing. I think American factory crosses a prestige level that for some people hustlers did not, right? if it's subject matter. Yeah. yeah, you know, it's kind of a bonus that Obama's there too, but it's also it's a well-regarded documentary about you know the economy and all kinds of stuff. Yeah, but then you have,
4: on the other hand is like the like the Kobe Bryant short and all that, you know,
2: it's also in a less competitive, the, less right. yes, the category I guess I'm it's sure like has you have a lot to take less, everything the, There is a lot less voting in the shorts. Right. You, know, you don't have to vote in categories you don't want to.
0: Yeah, so. yeah. also in uh in documentary filmmaking, I think that it is probably a Big advantage to have something that is a majority English because a lot of times in documentary filmmaking it is not majority English um, each feature. So American Factory also gets like an extra step there just for the number of eyeballs who are going to see it. Um, Honeyland is kind of a a task to ask someone to basically put down what they're doing and watch this very slow uh, like insightful story about like one woman who doesn't kind of know the definition of poverty. It's just like kind of apathetic to that concept of it. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. This is also the voting body that told me Green Book was the best movie last year and that <laughs> Bohemian Rhapsody had the best editing, so I'm not gonna get too worked up about what they nominated. This is some things I think about. You know? We're better at this than they I, are.
4: I'm just like, you know, I don't I just sometimes it's just Yeah, you know, just say I just don't understand, you know. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. It's, yeah, it's, I mean, I get all
4: of their arguments, and they're completely valid, and I'm like, I, I get what you're saying about, it. it's a short, you know, and like, there's name recognition, some people that wouldn't vote for a short normally would go and be like, oh, I you know, let me vote for this basketball one thing, because I recognize the name Kobe Bryant, um, or, you know, less people have put it up for the nomination, I get, totally get that, I was just, you know, on a surface level, I'm just like, I just don't understand one, this, you know, this,
3: blinded by fame and on the other not, you know. Well it happens in everything too, right? Like it's it's weird. Like I mean we used to do it in trivia shit all the time. You give awards to people that you want to be part of your industry and come back and play. You know what I mean? Right. Like you don't necessarily honor the best thing. I mean like, yeah, we're better at this than they are. Literally everybody who has a favorite movie last year should think they're doing it better than everybody else. Um to yeah. watch their favorite movie. Well I just mean for like sagging attendance, you know,
4: it it's be nice to like say, Hey, you know, Jlo is on this you Know eyeballs on screens, you know, yeah, and like she could be a part of it and like come and give away another award and be nominated in this category,
2: yeah. Oh, yeah. You know? I mean, they don't vote as a committee, I mean, that, right. that's the reason, right? You essentially have like 90, you know, 9,500 individual academies, right? And nobody thinks about yeah. it, like you that get a ballot, ballot maybe and, they do, like, no, yeah, I'm, I'm sure just, somebody
3: does, yeah, it's just that they all don't, you know,
0: right. Yeah. Although I did I did read a uh, an interview, one of the guys who was a screenwriter on The Shining apparently has a voting block of about a hundred votes of like old school Hollywood types who don't watch all the movies, don't care about the Academy Awards, but they submit a ballot every year, and so they they all just contact him and say like, "What should I watch? What should I vote for?" And he just tells them, they all just fall in line. Yeah. So yeah, so the Academy Awards. Uh, as far as what the best documentary of the year is, they're going to give it an award, but it doesn't necessarily mean it's the best documentary of oh, the yeah, year. Hundred percent. Yeah, yeah. And I think it's very possible and easy, and
3: I fall into that category of caring a lot about what the Oscars does uh, historically and and what it can do for small films, um, and not agreeing at the same time. Yeah. Uh, a couple Sorry, of you more. I was... Get us off on that. Too. No, no, <laughs> it was a, a fun little talk. Uh, I watched Richard Jewell. I think Chris has seen that. Yes, um, I liked it a lot. That was good. What do you think?
0: Yeah, we talked about it last week, and uh, uh, we uh, Kelly and I were both uh, surprised, delightfully surprised. By yeah, it.
3: Um, yeah. I know you all spent a good bit of time on it, so I don't want to spend too much time. I do want to say Paul Walter Hauser is fantastic. Uh, I thought, and, and Rockwell was great too. I mean, Kathy Bates is good, but.
0: Yeah, you were telling me that the poor guy keeps getting told to put weight back on. He keeps yeah. cutting down to He's like...
3: cutting weight after like playing the guy at I, or the guy at Black Klansman and then getting a new role where he has to add weight back on. He was <laughs> like, it's exhausting. <laughs> it's so tiring. Um, <coughs> uh, two more I'll, I'll hit that uh, I don't think have been talked about on the podcast yet. The Lighthouse, I watched. Uh, that movie's crazy as shit. Yeah. <clears throat> now, Kelly was like a huge fan. Uh, I mean, I liked it a lot. the The one nineteen to one ratio really works, uh, and it's like the first major film since like nineteen thirty forty that ratio, <laughs> like major studio release. Uh, but it works with the lighthouse and how like long. So if you don't know one nineteen to one, it's almost a perfect square. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, uh, but it's a little longer up top. It, it makes it way more like narrow than you would think a normal movie would. Really which claustrophobic. Fits with the lighthouse, mm-hmm. uh, which this weirdo Eggers built for like he built everything on this island for the movie of course he did yeah, yeah like more than for the witch. Yeah, yeah more than 50% of the credits for the movie are carpenters I looked yeah, that up the carpenters, <laughs> the Dude, they're like, they're like carpenters which the makes sense and then, there's yeah. three people in the movie so that's why it takes a guy like three years to make a movie too. Mm-hmm. yeah and he has to go find costumes that were like in museums mm-hmm.
2: well uh, he doesn't have to he does <laughs> no, he thinks he has to yeah. <laughs> I know he thinks he has to but other people manage <laughs>
3: um But it was really good. I mean, the cinematography is fucking amazing. I was reading about how he created some of that. He was, like, bouncing light off Muslim to get the, like, right light for daytime shots. It was crazy shit. I mean, it was really, really impressively shot. And the story is just fucking bonkers. I don't know how much I loved it (laughs) because I don't really know what the fuck I watched.
0: Yeah. I mean, it's... it's, There's a certain... (laughs) There's a certain point in it where... uh, where one character just loses all sense of time and place. And then the movie doesn't do you any favors in helping you figure out like who is telling the truth of how much time these two people have spent on this island together. And so from then on, it's just like, okay. <laughs> you get two insane, like two unreliable narrators. Yeah. Which is... <laughs> yeah, two unreliable narrators and also a filmmaker who does not give a fuck if you know what's going on. yeah. Well, you get to me and Man, Cass are watching it. this. Cass, <laughs> at one point,
3: she was like, well, Pattinson's obviously crazy. And I was like, yeah, I would agree with you. But the first day, Willem Dafoe gets start naked and tries to fuck a lighthouse. <laughs> so I don't know what the fuck is happening. Yeah. Um, but, yeah. Al, have
1: you seen The Witch? No. Okay. So I need to see both of Yeah, movies. this guy's a...
3: Oh, uh, this movie is... A unique filmmaker. ...is The Witch turned up. Cool. Yeah. For sure,
2: turn switch.
3: Yeah, it is. It is crazier than the witch was. Is living real deliciously. Um, I caught JoJo. I know it's been talked about a couple of times on the podcast, so I won't spend too much time on it. I liked it. I think probably a, a fair bit more than than most of y'all did who have seen it already. Uh, I think me and Chris are probably about on the same level. Yeah, I thought it was good. I think uh, that movie suffers a little bit from misleading trailers. <laughs> uh, I don't think it was the comedy that and I don't think it was trying to be the comedy that I thought it was Uh, I think it follows the narrative more of like uh, what's the Sam Neill one that we watched a month ago Uh, Hunt for the Wilder People uh, where the comedy kind of is there in the beginning but then just kind of falls off Mm. Um, there's a lot of jokes in that movie in like the middle half and some really sad super dramatic moments yeah um and I didn't think that was going to be the case in a movie where there's an imaginary friend who's Hitler.
0: Yeah, I mean the comedy almost just functions to endear yourself to the characters, and then once that job is done, it discards itself. And I think it's it does it it does it really well. Yeah, um, like even even the point where like like mental or like mind Hitler starts kind of playing the antagonist to JoJo. Yeah, I think like works really well too. Yeah, um, the kids were great though. Uh,
3: including Thomas and McKenzie who shouldn't be in the same boat as the younger kids. But she was a fucking, um, just amazing. Did a great job. Yeah. And, uh, JoJo's friend is fucking great. Love that little kid. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, hey JoJo! You were dead right about that kid. Yes, he's he's so funny.
0: He's great. Um, (laughs) Like, what are you doing
2: like oh I became a soldier
0: <laughs> the paper the paper uniform whole bit yeah he's like
3: is this paper and he's like I hold his uniform he's like he said it's the new thing <laughs> what it's very uncomfortable <laughs> <laughs> and then he I, we laughed so hard at uh like who's who won the war and it's like the Americans are like well who else is fighting with us and it's like nobody except the Japanese in between you and me they're not very Aryan <laughs> Okay, great like man it's fantastic yeah um, and then I watched another one that, that that Chris watched I think he talked about it last week on the podcast so I just want to pretty much say I saw it and that it was almost too intense for me but I watched uh, Les Miserables the the French foreign film this year that's not about the 2005 riots in France but definitely a script based off of those riots I yes yeah.
0: Uh, yeah, we didn't actually spend any time talking about it, um, so we can if you want to here. I mean, I don't have a ton to say except it's
3: uh, it is a you know hundred minute movie that is you are pretty much on the edge of your sheet
0: sheet. Yeah, you, but you <laughs> have to watch it in bed. Yeah, where you watch, watch it bed, <laughs> yeah, uh, edge of your seat though. The, the entire of time party, it's super uncomfortable. to yeah. watch. it's it's basically like a like French Training Day. It's a new cop gets in with this gang unit. That's what I said when he described it to me. I was like, "Holy shit! This sounds just like Training Day." Yeah, <laughs> it's it's this this cop uh, Kong, just yeah. gets transferred into like a an anti gang unit, and very quickly they start to kind of show you the complicated web of crime, in, uh, it's, in a, it's in like the F- Parisian ghetto, right? And so there's like the uh, like the the Muslim Brotherhood, who's kind of like the self appointed like law keepers in the area. There's, like, you know, their term, like, the gypsy gang. There's, like, the guy who's running, like, the projects and, like, the the black immigrants. And there's also just, like, I think there's just, like, a gang of kids who are their own, like, self-interested kind of mob. And just the movie's all about how they interact and how the police interact with them. Oh, and then there's the, like, Middle Eastern immigrant, like, heroin can't, dealer can't forget gang. That. Yeah. yeah. So it's, like... The politics of this, like, small neighborhood ghetto are really complicated, and the cops kind of bullheaded approach to establishing authority among them, in that, like, kind of feels a little like, uh, you know, Denzel in Training Day kind of putting uh, Hawk through the, the, like, just through the ringer. Um, like, the one scene where they drop him off at the, uh, the shawarma, yeah. just to, like, let him kind of fend for his own. Put him in, like, a really dangerous situation and be like, hey, you do it, rookie, and then just leaving him there. Right. Made me think a lot of training day. Hmm. Yeah. Um, but it's super fucking tense. There's a scene with a lion that I was, like, you know, like, literally on the edge of my seat, like, not knowing what the fuck was going on. Yeah. Um, but, yeah. I thought it was really good. It's, it's a, it's a stacked year for foreigns. Yeah. For sure. Honeymoon, this, obviously, Parasite. Um... Corpus Christi's The White Whale, but... Yeah, I mean, they did a great job in Les Mis, too. I thought about... And
3: I think it's in the quote at the end of the movie from Lamez, or maybe it's just a Victor Go quote, but, like, the, that, you know, bad people are cultivated. Yeah. And not just natural.
0: Yeah. Um, I think the quote is, there are no bad people or bad actions, only bad cultivars, or cultivars, whatever. Yeah, So, um, I don't theaters. know.
3: It's... It's... It's interesting. Um, I love the costuming in this, mainly because they gave Asshole Cop the shirt that made him clearly a douchebag. Yeah. He's wearing like a Venom t-shirt like, yeah. from the movie. I was like, douchebag. <laughs> got it. <Yeah. laughs> Thank you, costume folks. Yeah. But that's all I'll talk about. I got a few more, but nothing super interesting.
0: Cool. Well, let's get into some breezy. I did not do it my own because I think all of these movies I watch, you said have something about it. <laughs> okay. So if someone hit us with some breezy. David, you got some guild news? I got some
2: breezy, yeah. So the three main guilds leading up to the Oscars are the SAG, Screen Actors Guild, DGAs, Directors, and PGA's Producers. So we now have the results for all of those. Uh, first one was... <laughs> <laughs> I'm not announcing it here. I mean, everybody yeah,
3: <laughs> we got the
2: scoop. You, <laughs> <laughs> you can Google it.
3: Uh,
2: um, uh, Sag, SAG, super surprising. SAG was the oldest, and it went to Parasite. First time a foreign language movie has ever won this in SAG's history. Yeah. And without any individually nominated actors or actresses, uh, they won. And If you saw the telecast, there's like standing ovation, and the entire room was just so excited for Parasite.
3: I think it says a lot about Bong Joon-ho and why he's probably getting my vote on the weird talky talk awards where we let the Oscars nominate for us. Mm -hmm. But uh, the fact that I've had so much trouble in the past seeing like good performances in foreign films and that I thought pretty much the entire cast of Parasite was amazing. Mm-hmm. Um, I have to find some, like, through-thread to give credit there. You know what I mean? And, um, I think Banshee did a great job. Good performances out of this folks. Yeah. There's yeah. a lot of
2: strength in that movie, and it's made, like, $150 million worldwide. So it is a hit foreign language film, and it's one SAG. Um, on the other side, Producers Guild, uh, they had ten nominees. They went with 1917 as uh, the winner. Yep. Um, PGA is a pretty good indicator. Yeah. Um, Not 100%. It's usually pretty good for the field, and the winner has a pretty likely chance of repeating. Um, But when you couple that with DGA, which 1917 also won, um, it's pretty... I wouldn't say it's a fait accompli yet. Les miserables. But uh, man, you could have rolled in right through that. And it just sounded so so worldly. <laughs> Ooh la la, Jean la vive <laughs> um, When you pair those two things together, that's pretty much almost ball game. Um, yeah, it's a happened eleven times. PGA and uh, DGA have lined up. Eight of those times, you have the best picture winner there. Only times it didn't happen was with La La Land, where Moonlight ended up winning. Big upset. Yeah, the SAG winner that year was Hidden Figures, which never really figured in the main race. <laughs> oh! <laughs> Brokeback Mountain also got uh, PGA and DGA, but lost to Crash. And then uh, Saving Private Ryan also got PGA DGA, lost to the eventual SAG winner. Both those last two times. So war movie precedent, maybe.
4: Yeah. So you're saying there's a chance. Mm.
2: Yeah, and then the weirdest one I looked up is uh, Apollo thirteen won all three, and it's the only time anyone's won all three and lost. It lost to Braveheart. Weird. Nineteen ninety.
0: It is funny though that that of the years that you mentioned, like Moonlight, Remarkable, because it is like probably the least financially successful movie when it got when it won at the time. Uh, one of the mm-hmm. and Crash, which is what. Popular opinion says it was one of the mm-hmm. biggest mistakes in Oscar history. Also, like Braveheart is one of those movies that people look at and say, like, why did this only win just this one award? Yeah, Th- those are interesting tentpole movies that uh, I feel like are in discussion of Oscar history. Mm-hmm. Especially
3: because it was such an outlier. I mean, it's like the biggest upset. In- are any of those like preferential ballots?
2: Um, no. Oh, good. no. That Except for something La La Land. A chance. Lala La Land was no. I mean, the PGA's DJ's PGA is preferential.
4: Okay,
3: the others are
2: uh, which means
4: consensus. that it's probably nineteen seventeen. So everybody's top three,
3: right? Which I, I get. I mean, even without seeing it, just from like hearing Brent and you talk about it, like I get people. Everybody's going to be like, yeah, but like, nobody's going to be offended by it. You know what I mean?
2: It's kind of also perfect timing for when it came out and the voting being so short is it came out and the thing was it made a lot of money and it's very impressive there's almost not enough time for the backlash you know there's always backlash for a front runner Mm -hmm. whatever it is to kind of hit before voting is closed there's always time for the wheels on the bandwagon to start to
4: squeak and fall off and things like that because
2: that's what killed um, that's what killed La La Land is the front runner and this isn't that good and then you start picking apart a white man explaining jazz and all that stuff that's kind of ticky-tack stuff when you consider... Do you know the like, date, David, on when the voting closes? It may already be over. Yeah, if well, that's the, time the case, yeah, it probably is. I think it done. was only open for, like, a single week Weird. this year.
3: Hmm. I, maybe, like only one person got their ballot in. It's just like <laughs> Jonah Hill picks the Oscars.
2: <laughs>
3: <laughs> there was uh,
2: Mark Harris is a writer who does Academy Awards stuff for, like, Vanity Fair. Mm. And, you know, everyone polls their people. There's a lot of people who did not know... That voting was closing, yeah. Um, on the day, and a bunch of them had had not turned anything in. So this could be a uh, a weird year. <laughs> it could be weird. It could be like throw out the record book because it's it's early voting, short. You might not have as many as much people yeah. knowing about the whole time frame.
3: Shit's also just been weird the past few years. Like with Oscars, it's not been as easy to predict mm-hmm. as it was for you know the previous decade.
0: So, interesting. Well, cool. Any more breezy on the streets? Nobody got yet? No. Well, T.A., tell us what movies are coming out soon. There's a couple of films. One of
3: them I've been I've been seeing a lot about. Uh, I don't really want to see it, but they're putting the uh, ads all over social media. But uh, the guy, Richie, filmed The Gentleman. Yeah. It's coming out this weekend. That's yeah. uh, Matthew McConaughey, Charlie Hunnam, uh, Michelle Dockery, Colin Farrell, and Hugh Grant. Yeah. It's like a McConaug- drug, drug dealer who wants to retire. And then the power grab that happens after that. Yeah. Uh, but done by Guy Ritchie. So you oh. kind of know
0: what that movie is. I'm going to give it a chance just for the Colin Farrell of it all. <laughs> the Obama of it all, the Colin Farrell of it all. <laughs> I want to see it for the Hugh Grant of it all. Oh uh, yeah, and there's that
3: too. <laughs> a little cherry on top. A little Hugh Grant on top of the cake.
2: <laughs> I say. <laughs> uh,
3: then there's a movie called The Turning that's coming out. It's a uh, horror film. First time director a long time cinematographer. Mackenzie uh, Davis Finn Wolfhard Floria Sigismondi is her name but uh
1: we thought this movie was coming out last weekend so we talked about this on the last episode oh so good deal oh. I called it spider mouth movie but uh
3: the Brooklyn Prince and Finn Wolfhard and Mackenzie Davis uh, so it's got kind of a fun cast yeah it's Mackenzie Davis is brought in after these kids and these kids are the haunted part of it yes but if that was an option last week I guess we'd have to see the gentleman <laughs>
0: I don't know what website you use to look at these that says what are limited, what aren't. So I just used something that was just like, here are three movies coming out. <laughs> nice. Uh, I guess I'll pick The Gentleman.
1: Uh, I'm going the, the Gentleman, I suppose.
3: I'll see the turning. Gentleman. <laughs> <Eventually, laughs> yeah. With that, i yeah. I'm pick sure. The Gentleman. Yeah. Colin Farrell
0: go see the gentleman, or see the turning last weekend this has been talky talk podcast for the media bias.com you can find us on facebook kind of groups tv bias movies bias games bias you can send us an email to media bias at gmail.com you can tweet at us at the media bias please rate and subscribe yeah you can subscribe on podcasts uh, rate us on your favorite pod catching app itunes whatever uh, i want to give a special thanks to the Willow Walkers for the intro yep Oh, yolo. Yolo. special <laughs> thanks to Boorifa for the outro yolo, yolo, yolo. Yolo, yolo. and thanks to Al, TJ, David, Brent for being here yolo, yolo, yolo. bye
3: kicking rocks down old
4: dusty roads small town slow hooks, long time ago Kicking out records of all
1: the
2: things that I know. All the things